Normally, we would be in our sermon series called Rhythms of Life, and we're walking through this series through the summer, but we're going to hit pause on that today because I think God has a word to encourage our uh, men and our husbands and our dads and our young men. And so if you are a uh, student or a teenager or even an older kiddo who can understand what we're talking through, I think God has a word for you ladies. That doesn't mean you close your Bible and you get to check out and you're off the hook, okay? We're all in this together. Here's why. Because gospel manhood is a full family effort, okay? And so we want you to be engaged with us as well. And I think this is a worthwhile pursuit today, this idea of pursuing in God's word what it means to be a godly man. And here's why. I think culturally, we've kind of lost our way on understanding manhood. I don't, I don't know if you would agree with that or not. I just think culturally, I feel like we've kind of lost our way on what it means to be a man. I think if you were to look at our society and you look at it with the goal of determining what does masculinity look like, I think it would be like looking at a compass and you want that compass to point to true north, but all it does is the needle just spins around and around and around. Here's why. Because our society and our culture, our culture is constantly shifting and changing about what it means to be a man. It's, it's a moving target that feels almost impossible to hit. And it seems to be out at the extremes. And here's what I mean by that. It's either a man is this macho, uh, pound your chest, kind of don't express your feelings, men don't cry, suck it up, rub some dirt on it kind of dude, right? You're either that or you go to the opposite extreme of that and culture wants you to think there's no distinction between men and women, that God hasn't called men to a certain thing and women to a certain thing and that, and that um, they only want to affirm you as a man if you forfeit the strength and the leadership and the uniqueness God has created you to have as a man. And so we find ourselves kind of pressed out into culturally and socially as to what it means to be um, a man. And it, it seems to me that even the topic of manhood falls more and more out of favor in our culture. And, and I just think we've lost our bearings in our society. And I think the reason we've lost our way is because we have fundamentally shifted away from the biblical standard of manhood. Do you believe that? We have fundamentally shifted away from what God's word affirms as being a godly man. And that's what I want us to look at together. And so I'm asking us as a body, but certainly particularly to the men and the young men in our room, that we would dive in and jump into God's word together and rediscover and recapture um, biblical manhood. I want to be masculine in the way the gospel teaches me to do it. And that's what I want us to look at today. And I don't, I don't think those extremes that we talked about, those are not our only options. Here's what I mean. I believe a gospel-centered man can be uh, strong and vulnerable. I think you can be both of those things, right? I think a gospel-centered man can be honest and straightforward, but also filled with mercy. I believe that. I think a gospel-centered man can be driven for excellence and for success, and at the same time, filled with integrity. 
Uh, I, I think we can, a gospel-centered men can affirm good things for other people and to be confident in Christ. I think we can do this, but we do this according to God's word. And so I want us to look together at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and we're going to start in verse 13. Uh, 1 Corinthians is, and 2 Corinthians is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And in this letter, he is essentially teaching them all kinds of stuff. This is a first-generation church that Paul started. So he's giving them instructions on how to be the church. He's teaching them how to operate. He's teaching them how to handle difficult situations, how to worship, how to obey. He's teaching them how to be believers and disciples and how to be the church. And as he kind of starts to get toward the end of the letter in chapter 16, and he's wrapping it up, it's almost like he remembers a few things that he wants to remind them of before he closes out the letter. And so we see in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13, Paul is speaking directly to the men in the church in Corinth, and here's what he says. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men and be strong. And let all you do be done in love. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men, be strong, and let all you do be done in love. Let's just pray together and ask God to illuminate his word to us this morning. Father, I just want to thank you for your word and for the truth and the power of it. And uh, God, we just confess together that what we need above and beyond anything else is to hear your voice. And so, Lord, would you open your word to our hearts? Would you illuminate your word to us? God, I pray that you would protect the ears and the hearts of your people uh, from anything that is not of your word, but rather, God, that you would illuminate it, that it would be a uh, that it would give life to us as men, as disciples, God, that it would uh, give us fresh joy today, fresh hope, fresh encouragement. And so, God, I just pray that over these next moments, your word would shine bright into our hearts. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's four things I think we see here. Paul is very direct right here in verse 13 and 14. And I think there's four things we see that are going to teach us God's standard for biblical manhood. Going to help answer the question, what does God expect of me as a godly man? And the first thing he said is the first two words. Paul says, be watchful. Be watchful. Watch out is, is, is the implication there. The Greek word that's used there. It has something of like military implication. It would be a way that they would describe a watchman on the wall, on the tower. This would have been very familiar imagery to the city of Corinth or really any other major city uh, that had walls. They would oftentimes position soldiers on those walls to watch, and the watchman had a single purpose. They had one job that was to stand guard, to pay attention and 24-7 to watch out for the enemy who sought to do harm to the city. And if any watchman fell asleep at his post, you know oftentimes the punishment was death. They would often be put to death. Why? Because they understood any lowering 
of, of the, the focus to pay attention, any moment where the watchman loses his focus or falls asleep or isn't dialed in is a moment that the enemy can infiltrate the city. Men, do you see where Paul is going here? He says, be watchful. Like a watchman on the wall, we cannot even for a moment let down our guard. Why? Because according to John 10, Jesus said there is an enemy who is like a roaring lion who is prowling around looking for families and homes and churches and cultures to devour. So how do we see him coming and how do we stand guard? We have to be watchful. Which means, meant we are the watchmen on the wall for what happens in our home. We are the watchmen on the wall for who has influence in our home. We're the watchmen on the wall for the standard of purity and integrity and righteousness and love in our home. Paul said, be watchful, pay attention. And listen, this is really important. Before we can be watchful over our home, we have to be watchful over our hearts. What do I mean by that? I can't be watchful over your heart if I'm not guarding my own. You hear me? You can't be watchful for your bride and for your children and for your home and for your church if you aren't standing guard over your own heart. Jeremiah 17 says this, verse 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Does that resonate with anybody other than me? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Here's the point, man. We have to pay attention. We have to be watchful of our hearts. We have to pay attention if we are in the slow fade toward habitual sin. We have to pay attention if we are lowering the standards of purity and integrity in our lives. We have to pay attention and guard our hearts. Why? Because it is desperately sick. This is why Solomon, in the letter that he wrote to his son uh, in Proverbs, said in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, he said, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the wellsprings of life. That Greek, or excuse me, that Hebrew word for vigilance is the word they would use to describe how a jailer stands guard over a prisoner. Now think about that. Solomon said, son, you have to guard your heart like a jailer guards a dangerous criminal. Why? Because it is desperately sick. It's deceitful above all things. And men, we have to guard our hearts. We have to know our sin tendencies. Here's why. Because the enemy knows your sin tendencies. Are you with me? We have to know where we're weak because the enemy knows where we're weak. We have to know where we stumble because our enemy certainly knows where we stumble. And we have to guard our hearts so that we can climb on the wall and be the watchman for our families and for our church and for our community. Every morning when I get up, about 6 a.m., I get the coffee going and I look out the back window of my home and every day, almost without fail, there is a rabbit in our backyard. Excuse me, it's the same rabbit. He's there every day. We, he's in the yard. He's in the front yard, side yard, in the backyard. He lives in some overgrowth that kind of comes uh, up to our fence. And, and he's around so much that my kids have named him Frederick. Now, listen, we don't own him as a pet. He's not a pet. He just lives 
at our house. He just lives on our property. And this rabbit is the epitome of watchfulness. He never lowers his guard. Whatever he does in my yard, his ears are up, his eyes are up, his nose is up, and he's looking. He is the epitome of watchfulness. You want to know why? Because he knows at some point I'm going to open that back door and that 13-year-old beagle named Coach is going to go into the backyard and he's going to lose his mind trying to get to Frederick. He is, now, Coach is so old and broke down, he couldn't catch a cold at a pneumonia factory. But Frederick doesn't know that. So Frederick thinks, all right, that door's going to open and I know that crusty old dog is coming out here and when he does, I'm gone. Why? He's watchful. He's paying attention. He's mindful. He never lets his guard down. You want to know why? Because his life depends on it. Men, do you know the spiritual thriving of your family depends on you being the watchman on the wall? There's a reason God has set us as the shepherds of our home. Because we stand guard against the lion. That's our, that's our role. And I want you to hear me say this. Moms and dads, this is a team effort. Moms, some of you play this role alone, and I want to tell you God has positioned you to stand watchmen over your home. But guys, this is what God has called us to do. So whichever those pictures work for you, whether it's the watchman on the wall or Frederick in my backyard, whichever one works, be watchful. That's what Paul is saying. Here's the second thing he said. He says, stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. The picture here that Paul's painting is one of, of keeping your feet, of holding your ground, of, of not being swept away and misled and deceived. And the reason Paul is writing this is because this was something that he was dealing with in the church in Corinth. There was all of this pagan religion in the city of Corinth that was tr trying to sneak its way into the church and dilute the faith in the church and dilute the gospel. And Paul is telling the men of the church, you have to stand firm against this. Well, how do we stand firm in the faith? We got to know what we believe. Amen. We have to know who we are in Christ. Brothers, we cannot stand firm in a faith if we are uninformed in the faith. I can't stand firm in ignorance. I have to stand firm in the faith. That means I stand firm in who I know Jesus is, in who I am in Christ, and who God's Word proclaims me to be. That's how I stand firm in the faith. Well, how do we, how do we build that faith? First Peter, Peter tells us we're to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we grow in grace? How do we build our faith? How do we grow in our knowledge of Jesus? It's, it's in the playbook for our faith. It's in the instruction manual of our faith. Men, it begins in this word. You cannot stand firm for a faith you aren't pursuing in God's word. It begins here. We stand for, I love that phrase. I think every one of those words are important. Stand firm in the faith. Paul, Paul is not saying, men, and this is where we struggle. Paul is not saying, stand firm in your discipline, stand firm in your own abilities, stand firm in your will, stand firm in your own 
strength. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying stand firm in the finished work of Christ. But stand firm in the faith, which means we got to know who we are and we got to know what God's Word teaches us as godly men. So he says, be watchful. Watch out for what the enemy is doing. Watch out for your heart. Stand guard over your home. Then stand firm in the faith. Know who you are. Know what you believe and stand firm. Don't be swept away. And then he says this, and this one's uh, kind of right on the nose. He says, act like men and be strong. Guys, I don't know if any of you were uh, sinful heathens in your younger life uh, like I was, but, you know, sometimes, sometimes guys, we, we scuffle, you know, the boys, we tend not to talk things out. We tend to swing things out, and then we pick up the pieces, and, and we hug one another after we, after we fight a little bit. I don't know if you've ever taken a hit right on the end of your nose, either in a, you know, athlete, but you've taken an elbow or something right on the tip of your nose. It, what happens? What happens to your body? First of all, you cry like a baby even though you're not crying because your eyes just fill with tears. It's extremely painful to take one right on the beak, and that's what I feel like Paul did right here. When he says, act like men, it's like Paul just comes right on the nose. But the way we process this is I think it's important to hear what Paul is saying and what he's not saying. Paul is not saying, act like men, be macho, be aggressive, Pound your chest. Act like an animal. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul was already dealing with men in the church in Corinth who were acting that way. Arrogant, prideful, self-seeking, domineering. This was the influence of the Corinthian culture and that pagan worship that was making its way in. Those pagan religions, um, they involved uh, human sacrifice. They often involved... Uh, sexual promiscuity and prostitution was a part of their pagan worship. And these things were trying to get into the church in Corinth. And Paul is saying, so when he says, act like men, he isn't saying, be macho. He's saying, be mature. He's saying, don't act like the little boys in Corinth who only know how to pursue what they want who only know how to seek themselves, who only know how to satisfy their own desires, who don't know how to put the needs of someone else above their own, who don't know how to pursue something out of what they want for themselves, who don't know how to lay aside arrogance and pride and walk in humility. Paul is saying, those are little boys. Don't be like that. Act like men. That's what he's saying. Act like men and be strong. I've I'm raising two sons, and it's, it's amazing watching them grow into godly young men. Um, they still stub their toe, and they're still knuckleheads because their dad is a knucklehead. Uh, but I remember when they were little boys. I want every dad, if you have a little boy particularly, I want you to remember how he was in those moments when you were convinced he is never going to learn this lesson no matter how many times I spank his rear. <laughs> he just ain't going to learn it. My daughter learned her lesson the first time every time. Now, she wasn't perfect, but if, if I got to the place where she received a punishment like a spanking, she learned it and we moved on. Not so with her twin brothers. Uh, they, they were not the, that way. Um, there were many times they got spankings for the exact same thing on the exact same day. 
right? We learned a lesson in the morning, and then we had to learn it again in the afternoon, and we may have had to learn it one more time before bed. Paul is saying, there's not a place for that for gospel champions. Paul is saying, the mission of God is not silly. It is, it is, there is something eternal at stake. And I need for you to set that aside and act like men. Let's, let's grow in spiritual maturity. That's what he's, I think, calling us to do. And he says, be strong. This call to be strong, listen, this wasn't a call to try harder, guys. This wasn't a call to never show weakness or to never show struggle. And boy, we trip up on this, don't we? We believe the lie that says if we show vulnerability, then it is, it is, it is an acknowledgement of deficiency. It's a show of weakness. We can't do that. And when Paul says be strong, he isn't saying act like you don't struggle. He isn't saying don't show weakness. He's, this is not a call to our own strength. It's a call to lean into Jesus. He says, this is why Paul says, when I am weak, he is what? Strong. This is a call to fix our eyes on Jesus, to believe the promises of Jesus, to trust in the grace and the forgiveness that we receive in Christ when, not if, but when we fail. I want to display for my children gospel masculinity. But listen, that isn't going to happen in trying to convince them that I never struggle or fail. That's going to happen when they see what I do when I fail. That's where I'm going to teach them that lesson. You are never stronger for your children than when your children know that their dad struggles with sin just like they do. You are never stronger for your wife than when she knows you have to battle to believe the promises of God just like she does. You are never stronger for your family than when you acknowledge that you need forgiveness, that you need the gospel. Spiritual strength is validated when repentance is demonstrated. Are you with me? Spiritual strength is validated when repentance is demonstrated. Boy, that's a tough one. Because if you've ever had to apologize to a child, humbling, right? <laughs> That'll break you smooth down. You can't be prideful in that moment, right? But that, that's spiritual strength. I want to send young men into the world who know that a genuine I'm sorry is just as powerful as an I love you. I want to send those men into the world and I want them to shape the kingdom of God by knowing that. So Paul says, be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Know what you believe. Act like men. Be mature and be strong. And then here's the last thing he says. Let all you do be done in love. And this is the most important thing Paul says here. Let all you do 
be done in love. Paul tells us the means by which we do all these things. How do I how do, how do I stand as a watchman? How do I keep my guard up? How do I pay attention? How do I stand firm in the faith? How am I mature spiritually? How do I stay strong in Christ? And Paul says, it is all done in love. Love is the motivator. Love is the fuel. Men, I want you to hear me say, manhood is not demonstrated in the hobbies I keep, in the sports I play, in the things that I like or don't like. Okay? I love to hunt and fish. I enjoy that. I know how to skin a buck and run a trot line, okay? Because a country boy, can't. anyway. So I know how to do that. I know how to do that. That doesn't define me as a man. Love defines me as a man. And God help me if, what I, if I pass on to my children the ability to play a sport well, or to have a hobby well, or to be a good business person, and I don't teach them how to love each other. I don't want to do that. I don't want to forfeit the most important lesson that God has given me to teach them, which is let all I do be done in love. That's the most important thing, and here's why. Because love, listen, is the greatest power at work in this world. It is the greatest power at work between God and man. It's the love of God. And it's the greatest power at work between us, between man and man, that, the, the love of God. It is also the greatest power at work against our enemy. The lo- this is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, when it's all said and done, you're going to have faith, you're going to have a hope, and you're going to have love. These three are going to abide, but the greatest of those three is love. Let all you do be done in love. I know that when I think about my own life, there are men that God has used to shape my heart, to speak into my life, to encourage me, and I just have a great respect for those men. And um, I know it helps me to hear other men talk about their experiences as dads and husbands. And so I've asked three of my good friends to join me, uh, George Willis, uh, Ben Lofton, Lynn Heflin, and Jerry Davis. You guys welcome them to the stage with me. The reason these guys are here is because they are perfect fathers and they've never made mistakes in fatherhood or in being husbands. And so, I'm <laughs> just kidding. They were terrible at all those things. No. They're here because, not because they were perfect, but because they pursued Jesus. They wanted to shepherd their homes for the glory of God. And so, I just wanted you to hear from them because these are men who encourage me in my walk with Jesus. So, I just want to ask you guys some questions. Uh, Lynn, let me start with you. You know, we talked about this idea of standing firm in the faith of Knowing what we believe, I, I don't feel like we can do that in isolation. I, I know that for you as a teacher and a coach over these years, there have been men who have invested in your life. And I know you have invested and discipled dozens, if not hundreds, of other men in their life. What is the importance of men helping strengthen other men in the faith? Well, Pastor, I know in my own life it's been critical for me um, I go back even to the start with my own father Mm. and how he had a tremendous impact on me 
uh, in my early days because he was a, a man of God. He was not a perfect man, mm. but he was a man, uh, a man's man. And, uh, you know, one thing I, I can always, I think back about him and I, I don't ever remember profanity or profane talk ever mm. coming out of my father's mouth. And that was big. I mean, mm. he was a man of integrity and he taught me early on that that wasn't right, you mm. know, that to let those kinds of things come out of my mouth. I also think back about men that invested in me as a young coach and teacher mm. at, that impacted my career and my whole life as I chose to, to be a teacher coach and, and men of integrity, men th of God that, um, and it wasn't always what they said, although I sat under many a coach's talk or a devotion mm. or things like that, but so many times it was them modeling mm. what Christ is and who he is and, and showing me that with young men and women that we coached and mm -hmm. stuff. And then uh, just giving sacrificially. So mm. they impacted me in a great way. And hopefully through the years, you know, I've been able to have a little bit of an impact mm. on the coaches and people that have worked with me and, and under me. Yeah, those days. I love that. I love that. There's just that importance, men, that you have other men in your life who love Jesus more than they love you. Mm -hmm. I, we all need that. Amen? And so, George... What are some things you've done? We talked about building our faith, standing firm in the faith. What are some things that you are intentional to do to build this faith in your own life? Yeah, thank you, Pastor. I would say, you know, our, my family, the Willis Camp, we're a busy family. We have uh, four children. Our fifth is on the way. And so our time can be very, very busy. Lots of baseball games and sport activities after school. And so... I must be very intentional on my time management. So what mm. that requires for me is waking up very early in the morning, getting my day started with prayer and with reading scripture mm -hmm. every morning. Uh, I grew up in the country and that was instilling me early, just waking up early. And so early rising, reading and praying has been just tremendously important with my mm -hmm. growth spiritually. And I think of Ephesians chapter six and uh, Paul talks about putting on the full armor of God. Mm. And so as men, we have to prepare ourselves. Mm. Every day we have to wake up and go to war. And the best way to go to war is armed with the sword of the Spirit mm. and, and Scripture. So that, that is crucial for me is waking up yep. early and getting my day going that way. I love that. It, it's that, it's that uh, strapping on the armor, right? Getting suited up for, for that. I love that. Ben, what are some ways that you've taken this faith and you have intentionally tried to foster it into the lives of your kiddos. What are some things you have done to do that? I think over the years we, we, we attempt to have structured time and we sit down and we have a Bible study and devotional and we go over the things of God's Word. And I'll be honest with y'all, this is the last service of the morning so I can tell y'all this. I'm not always that great at that. <laughs> uh, and I learned that early on about me. While we still do that from time to time, I think one thing that's been remarkably helpful for me and I think it's been good for my kids is that I try to carry that conversation into everything that we do. So mm -hmm. all, there, there are not things that we, there are things that we, excuse me, there are not things that we talk about 
that don't have Jesus involved in it. Regardless of what the conversation is, mm. the, the scripture of God's word, the way he loves us, who he is, the character of God are woven in everything I talk to with my children about, whether it be sports or whether it be uh, doing laundry or I'm on the yard or, or, or inter, interpersonal relationships with other people. It is about Jesus. And I think for me, that's one way that I'll foster it with them. And it's helpful for me too. To, run, to continually remember who God is and his character and how it applies to different circumstances in our life. So really making that a, a full-time conversation with mm. my kids has been really important. I love the as-you-go nature to that. I, I, I used to get so frustrated when I would try to do family quiet time and it wouldn't be exactly what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be the sound of music with me doing a devotional and it was <laughs> never that ever, not one time. And I would just want to lose my mind when it wouldn't work out perfect and my kids didn't sit, but they still acted like sinners. You know what I mean? And so the, I love what Ben said. There's this, we do this as we go. God opens those doors. And I remember last year I, I learned that Ben says something to his sons when they leave his presence most of the time. What is it you tell your boys? Uh, sorry, this is my older son. I really uh, I thought long and hard about what I wanted them to think about as they left me and, 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 and who they were in their life. And there are three things that I ask them. Uh, and the first is uh, I'll ask them who you are. I'll ask them whose you are. And I'll ask them where we're going and why you're here. So the who you are is who are you and you're my son. You carry my last name and my father's last name. And, your decisions have implications based on our family legacy. So mm. think about that uh, when you're out in public. The second is whose you are. And the answer to that one is you, you belong to God. You belong to mm. Jesus Christ. You've been saved and rescued by him. And everything you do and say should be based on the fact that you are his. You belong mm. to him. And finally, I ask them why you're here. If that's school, it's to learn so that I can further God's kingdom. And ultimately, it's why you're here is to, is to be the man that God's called you to be. And I, I try to tell them that as much as I can ask those questions. So they'll, they'll think about who they are in Christ and why they're here to perform uh, mm. the tasks and the duties that God set forth for them. I love that. I love that. So, Jerry, I said, Paul says, I want you guys to act like men, right? How important was it for you raising your daughters for them to see you exemplify what it meant to be a strong, godly man in your home? Man, thank you. It really has always been really important to me passing the faith over my kids. And uh, uh, if I believe what I say, I believe uh, without Jesus, that they have no hope. Mm. And so it was important to me to, to live in a way that demonstrated I, 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 I really believed it. And I mm. think the song Steve Green Seems find us faithful, may all who come behind us find us faithful, and the footprints we leave lead them to believe. And uh, I try to live the way that pointed mm. my, my kids towards Jesus. And not always, didn't always accomplish that, but it was really important to me. Yeah. What I love about that, Jerry, and the thing that I take away from that is that keeping that generational view in mind that God has given us the charge to see this faith that we were given be given to the next generation. And I, I just love that. So, George, when you th I, we've talked a lot about the leadership your dad has provided. I know your dad's here today. Your mom and dad are here. That fires me up. What are some of the... When you think about the lessons your dad taught you growing up, what is the one thing that comes to mind when you think, I really want to be sure that I pass this on to my children. I know there's a lot, but what's the first one that comes to mind that you learned that you want to pass on? Yeah, Pastor. I, man, there is a lot. Um, but I would say the thing that I take away most that my father instilled with me is loving people. 
just mm. loving every person. Mm. You know, my, my father was a coach and a principal, and there was lots of late uh, athletic events where he was taking kids home. Uh, somebody passed away in the, in the neighborhood. He would take it. We would take them um, dinners and just loving our neighbors very, very well mm. uh, in the country. There's all, if you have, know anything about cattle or having horses, there's always going to be fences broken, and you're always going to have to fix fence at some point. So we would always be helping our neighbors fence, fixing fences and things. Mm. My dad loved people very well. Mm. And it started in the home, right? Mm. It started as a man, him loving my, 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 me, and my brother, my sister, and my mother very well. Mm. We would see things as a, as, a, as a young adult and as a kid that you would think, man, these aren't macho things. Mm. As the world was said, that's not what the guys do. Mm. Like my dad combing my mom's hair or uh, washing dishes after she gets through cooking. Things mm. like that that he instilled with me early on serving his mm. wife well and loving his wife well. And it, it, it just overflowed out of the home into our community and just loving our neighbors well. So if there's one thing I, I, I pray that my kids take away mm. is no matter what uh, color or race that you are, that you love your neighbors well. I love that. So. I love that. So, Ben, you, you've got a broad spectrum of age from kiddos. You've got Taylor who's in grad school, Eli who is in grade school. And so those require very different types of influence and shepherding and and so how have you learned the balance between being strong, that strong side, and also that tender side you have to have as a dad? Yeah, I, I would say for me there's two things. The first has been getting to know my children's hearts, finding out who they are, how God's wired them, how they respond uh, to, to different things, and, and really really just spending time and talking with them, getting to know them. I know that I have, I have four, and as Pastor Matt said, we, uh, we, we bunched them all together, so they're 18 years apart between the oldest and the youngest. <laughs> good, good plan. Um, and uh, my oldest, Taylor, is very different uh, from my youngest, uh, Eli, even in age, but in personality and everything else. So knowing who they are and how God has knit them together allows me to really uh, be able to minister to them in a way that's best for them and God honoring. And the second thing is, and I think for me, this is the most important, is I, I spend a lot of time praying and begging that God would give me wisdom and how to lead my children well. Yeah, um, yeah. Knowing that he is a far better father than I could ever be and that he knit them together in their mother's womb and he knows them, so he knows what's best for them. Mm. So I beg for the, the, the discernment to know when to be harder on my kids when uh, the, maybe I'll be older or when to have that softer, more tender side with my sons. Yeah. Um, Jerry's laughing, I think, because I don't have a problem being hard. So I'm probably more willing to pull back a little bit on that. But uh, I, I think praying to God and really begging him to give me wisdom on how yeah. to do that has been, uh, has been the, the biggest thing for me. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So Jerry, I said, well, Paul said, men be watchful. Your home, your church, your community, we're set as watchmen, but we talked about how we, that begins being watchful over our own heart, right? So what are some things that you do to keep watch over your heart and mind? It's constantly, uh, you've heard us say, you are what you eat, I believe you are what you watch, what you listen to, what you read. Uh, mm. I started uh, early, in my early 20s, had a pastor, Dwayne Turner, that challenged me to get in the Word, and so it's... 57 or almost 57 since in my early 20s I've been in the Word pretty faithful and got actively involved in Promise Keeper to read parenting books and 
watch what I listen to, watch what I watch, because I didn't want to mess things up as a dad. Yeah. So uh, uh, just, uh, um, it's important to do those things to be, to be able to be who you uh, are supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. So the last thing, Lynn, that Paul says is let all you do be done in love. Let, it, let love be the motivator. And as guys, we struggle with this, right? We struggle for love not to come out as weakness. We never want to appear weak, but it's important for men to do this. Why do you think it's important for men to express love and walk in authentic love? You know, Pastor, I do think that men worry about maybe looking weak or, mm -hmm. you know, real susceptible if they express love. And when I think about the people that have invested in my life, the men that have invested in me, it wasn't always what they said. Although I many mm -hmm. times, you know, sat under their teaching or we had talks and coffee and, you know, but it's what they did. Mm. They acted out love to me many times, whether it was, mm. hey, brother, you need to think about what you, that decision you're making right mm -hmm. here, or uh, sometimes it was hard love, mm. but uh, they always expressed their love, and it was never about themselves. It was always about me, and, you know, they, they cared about me. It, they mm. never were trying to glorify themselves, mm. and, and uh you know, I remember one of the coaching friends that played a huge uh, impact and mentored me. You know, he, every time he always turned the conversation to what was going on in my life and about mm. his Lord. Mm. And, um, you know, that impacted me greatly. Mm. And I knew he didn't have to tell me he loved me. He demonstrated it all the time. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Well, here's what I know, guys. I know that on a Sunday like today, it has the potential to be really encouraging or really defeating because you're looking at your life and going, well, I stink at all this, right? At least that's the case for me. I can either go out encouraged or I go out defeated. And so I want us to just acknowledge that every one of us as fathers and as husbands, as godly men, there is, there is room for us to grow. There is the work of faith still being done. And so I know that in this room, there are some of us who are thinking, I am not being the man God wants me to be. I'm not being the leader in my home. And uh, each one of these guys have probably been through a season just like that. And so I would ask you guys, and I would ask each of you to take just a second, about 30 seconds, I'll have a mute your mic if you go longer than that, George, okay? <laughs> 30 seconds. That, uh, and just share, what, what would you say to encourage the guy who says, I'm not where God wants me to be, but... I want to be. I want to get there. What would you say to encourage Jerry, let's start with you. Well, it's, it's the victory in Jesus. Don't look back at the mistakes. If, if you made them, say, I'm sorry. Uh, move forward with the mm. victory in Jesus. Yep. Yeah, I, I would echo a lot of that. I start, do something. Do anything. If what you've been doing is not God-honoring and not beneficial to your children, then start a new rhythm today, whether that's reading God's Word or praying or seeking out men that uh, you look up to uh, that you can talk to about, but start doing something. Don't worry about what you have done. Worry very much about what you are going uh, to. Mm -hmm. and, and the other thing I would say is that Pastor Matt talked about this, and I think it's so important. You know, we, we talked about repentance being a big part of this as fathers. Learn to apologize to your kiddos. It's one thing that he mm -hmm. said it's humbling. It's beyond humbling. I've, I've had to apologize to a three-year-old, and they're looking at me like, 
<laughs> but it's a good rhythm to be in so that they know that I'm wrong, that I'm, that I'm a sinner, and that I'm willing to extend to them uh, that so that they can extend it back to me. So I would say that those are two really good rhythms to get into. I love that. George, what would you say? Yeah, I would say, man, you're going to mess up as, as a father. Uh, I've messed up, and we're going to continue to mess up. But I would say this, just meditate on the characteristics of our Lord, his mm. goodness, he's, how merciful he is. Mm. And the more that you focus and try to grow your relationship with Jesus, the more you will start seeking after that righteousness more like him. So mm. the more you meditate on the love and the kindness and the goodness of Jesus, the more you will start being that. And Jesus has called us to be uh, men. That's right. Biblical man, men. And so let's go after it. So. I love that. Lynn? I would say if I had to summarize it all into kind of what the Lord told us when they asked him what's the most important thing. Mm. Well, if you could get these two things right, mm. to love the Lord God with mm. your, your heart, mind, soul, and your, and mm. your strength, pursue him. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, to love our neighbor as ourselves. If we can do those two things, everything yep. else will fall into place. Man, I, I love that. I do. Would you guys help me thank these fellas for being a part today?